So we're excited to be together today. Today we're going to talk about believe. And uh, there are different ways that we use this word believe. As I was thinking about it, I was thinking about all the things that I believed as a child. And I believe I can fly. You believed you could yeah. fly as a child? Uh-huh. No. I, I know I, I could. It's a song. I, it's a song. And I sang it. I sang it loud and proud for sure. You know, I believed at one point in my life that if I swallowed that watermelon seed, the vine would grow out my ears. Has anyone else shared that belief? Uh, as a child, I also was worried multiple times because I was told by my older siblings that if I swallowed that piece of gum, it would live forever, forever in my belly. I also believe that, you know, my parents must have been born in the times of the dinosaurs because they were so ancient to me when I was a child. And we laugh at these beliefs now because we know um, that, that there's no grounds to believe those things. But as a kid, we did believe those things, or many of us did. We often use the term belief in society today in very abstract and intangible ways. We say things like, believe in yourself. What exactly are we are we saying there? Like, what, what are we to believe in? It's, it's unclear. It's abstract. Or we ask questions like, well, do you believe in love at first sight? And then we argue, you know, yes or no. Today we're going to talk about belief and specifically belief in Jesus. And this is not some wishful thinking that is belief, but rather this belief is substantiated, it's validated, it's supported by evidence and reason. And I'm convinced that this faith journey, this journey towards belief that we are on, uh, is uh, a continuing endeavor. That is, there's not a point when I came to believe. There are milestones, there are big points in our belief journey, but I think it continues for each of us on a daily basis. We continue to believe and we continue to live into the belief that we have. You know, there's a similar thing playing out even in the language of followers of Jesus. It looks kind of like this. So Jesus' followers in uh, the gospel accounts, like the account of John that we're reading out of today, spoke of his followers as disciples. Uh, And in first century Israel, that term made a lot of sense. It, It means a follower of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus. But early in the Christian church, the language of followers of Jesus shifted from disciples disciples, the language is still used, to believers. The primary term that identified someone as a follower of Jesus was a believer. They were the believers. And this speaks to quite a number of things. Uh, Yes, the believer referred to someone that follows Jesus, but it refers also to belief in Jesus as the Messiah. Belief that Jesus rose from the dead. Belief that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Son of God and the hope for this world. So this speaks of uh, of the life that belief entails. Further, it moves beyond just a belief on a cognitive level, but it speaks to the life that belief invites us into. We'll talk about all that today. We're going to begin in John chapter 20, verse 30 today. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. We've gone through all of the Gospel of John, and we keep coming back to this verse. We've read these verses. We've read them multiple times because right here, John is describing the purpose for writing the Gospel of John. 
He says that he's recorded these signs as evidence. This, and, and throughout the gospel, we've seen him build this case, this logical case. Here's, here's the sign one. Here's sign two. Like, here's the, the case that John is building to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And his whole, whole purpose is that as the readers read this gospel, they would come to believe in Jesus that they may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, they may have life in his name. And life has been mentioned over and over in the gospel as this freeing life, this abundant life. Yeah, it's clear in this text that John's pursuit is not simply academic, but instead his pursuit is that in believing in Jesus, we would gain something that we would gain life. Now, earlier in John's gospel, he spoke of this life in terms of eternal life. Let me read it for you. In John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. It speaks of this hope found in belief in Jesus of eternal life. This, of course, speaks of a life after this life, but it's not limited to that. And it's really important, in, in my opinion, to draw out that he speaks of not just a hope far off, but one that is here and now as well. In fact, in verse 18, he speaks of this idea of being condemned right where we stand when we don't believe. He's speaking of a present tense reality. And the alternative to that condemnation that he speaks of, of course, is eternal life that is available here and now. That in belief in Jesus, eternal life begins in the present. So as we continue to talk about belief, let's define what that word means. It's usually defined something like this, a state of mind in which confidence is placed in a person or a thing, or when something is accepted as truth. This is typically how you, if you looked it up in a dictionary, how people would define belief. However, culturally, it seems like belief has sometimes a negative connotation. That to believe means you're, you hold an opinion without evidence or despite the evidence. And, and that's an interesting cultural shift, I think, that's happened in the in the last few hundred years. And so as we continue, I want to look at um, the Greek word for believe, pisteo. It means to trust, means to have faith in someone or something. And so this believe, when we talk about believe in scripture, is a conviction of truth based on evidence, not despite of evidence, but based on evidence and reason and experience. And also, it's not just limited to the cognitive, like Micah was saying, but it's characterized by our actions. So part of belief includes trust and reliance on God and living that out. So as we conclude today, John's purpose in this entire gospel that we spent the last nine months or a year studying through, um, his entire purpose was that we would believe and find life in Jesus' name. So we're going to look back in his gospel at, at a number of accounts, because in John's gospel, he is constantly uh, inviting or, or drawing out this idea of both belief and unbelief. Uh, time after time, uh, maybe seven times, culminating in Jesus' resurrection, John tells stories of Jesus' encounters with people. 
And in each of those stories, about seven signs are demonstrated. It's signs that point to who Jesus is, the character of Jesus and his identity uh, as the Son of God. And each time he shows one of these signs, he describes both belief and unbelief. He, he, he shows us what it looks like then to believe in the name of Jesus, and then he contrasts that with the stories of people who don't believe. And I love the fact that John doesn't shy away from unbelief, because it is a reality. Many people come in contact with Jesus and reject this wholeheartedly, and many others find life in Jesus' name. So we're going to look at a couple of those accounts. The first in John chapter 4, if you want to turn there. We won't read too much of it today, uh, but in John chapter 4, Jesus comes, uh, he's traveling uh, between two regions of Israel and in the middle of Samaria, a a despised place that most people would travel much further to go around. Jesus doesn't. He finds himself in conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well uh, who had lived a very difficult life, who had experienced all sorts of of difficulties. And he takes the time to sit and to have a conversation with her, to invite her to know water that would never run dry, living water found in him. And at first, the Samaritan woman was very suspicious of Jesus and questioned him and even confrontational in her conversation with Jesus. But in that conversation, she comes to believe that Jesus is the the Messiah, that Jesus has revealed things to her that no one else knew about her. And so she then went and shared this um, with with the town that she was from. And in John 4, verse 39 and verse 41, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Verse 41, and because of his words, many more became believers. And so we see, starting from a place of suspicion, having had a conversation with Jesus, this woman comes to believe and then shares her belief with her whole town, and and the town comes to believe in Jesus. You know, we also see the belief and unbelief in the contrast between Samaria, the despised place, who does believe in Jesus, and Israel, who at this point is still quite resistant to what Jesus is doing. In John chapter 6, the stories continue, and Jesus uh, has just fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men, more like 12 or 15,000 people, in total were there, and Jesus takes a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread, and he feeds these many thousands of people, performs this miracle demonstrating uh, that he is the bread of life, and he crosses over uh, a lake to be in a remote region, and the crowds follow him. They find him, and, and word spreads, and crowds start to flock to him again, and he Uh, has his teaching for them, I am the bread of life. And for Israelites, they heard very clearly him speaking to God's work through the Israelite people as God brought manna to the land, that people would have bread to eat to sustain themselves as they're in the desert traveling from Egypt to the promised land. Jesus says, I am that bread of life, and you'll need to eat of me. Of course, speaking of communion and a a number of other subjects, However, the teaching was incredibly hard that day, as Jesus said, I am that manna from heaven, and you'll need to eat of me. He really doesn't shy away from shocking people and saying challenging, challenging things. And so in in verse um, in chapter 6, verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That that teaching was just too hard. And so they weren't able to wrap their minds around it, and so they walked away. Absolutely. Jesus turns to his closest followers in John chapter 6, verse 67. 
And he turns to his closest followers and he said, do you want to leave too? Do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is one of those pivotal moments where Jesus' closest followers are put on the spot and they have every opportunity to leave, just like so many people are leaving the presence of Jesus in that moment. But this is the moment that Peter kind of seals his belief. He speaks it for the first time to Jesus. I believe that you have the words of life and I believe that you are the Holy One of God. As we continue to look at examples of belief and unbelief throughout John, we go to John 8, and at this point, Jesus has been teaching at the Festival of Festival of Tabernacles, and this was a festival to remember Israel's time wandering around in the wilderness in which they lived in temporary shelters. And so Jesus has been teaching that he was sent by God, that those who come to him, rivers of living water will flow out of him. And then he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And there's a very mixed response to that statement. Mm-hmm. For instance, the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are the religious and civil uh, rulers in Israel. Of course, Israel is under the rule of Rome, so they don't have all the leeway in the world. But the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, were quite opposed to Jesus by this time. And so they argue with him in uh, John chapter 8, verse 13. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Now, they're speaking to the legal system of the day, not terribly unfamiliar to us with our legal systems, but that Jesus couldn't claim his identity. He couldn't claim who he is on his own, but he would need a witness to identify for them for him. But the interesting thing is the disciples are still on this journey of belief, still confused. Who would his witness be? Who saw him come from God and would know this? Of course, there's a story of Mary and a virgin birth. There's many signs and many reasons we would believe in people that could testify. But ultimately, Jesus claims, no, God is my witness. God is my witness. A bold, uh, I mean, unbelievable claim that absolutely infuriates the Pharisees. This is against all of our laws. This is not the way we prove ourselves. And yet Jesus, claiming to be God, claims God as his witness in the text. And of course, this is the unbelief. The Pharisees say this is absolutely absurd and are opposed to Jesus. As you describe that, I can't help but imagine, you know, what would it be like to be Jesus in that time? Like creator God in human form being told, your testimony is not valid. It's crazy to to think about. Um, But many who were there did believe. So chapter 8, verse 30, even as he spoke, many believed in him, in Jesus. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I find this to be a really interesting statement. To those who believe, he says, well, now you need to hold to my teaching. So part of belief is holding to Jesus' teaching, and that truth will set people free. So belief isn't simply the intellectual exercise of of here's what I'm going to choose to believe mentally, but belief in Jesus is also lived out through obedience. 
Absolutely. And finally, we're on the last story, right, of, G- of uh, belief and unbelief. In John chapter 11, we have the story of a man named Lazarus, a friend of Jesus and, and a family friend of Jesus. And Lazarus had passed away. And it's interesting this, the way the story plays out. Jesus is kind of slow in returning to be there with the family or to come and perform a miracle. He arrives and they say, Jesus, it's too late. And Jesus says, no, he was just taking a nap. He's okay. It was just a couple day nap. And Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead in this tale. And so as, but before he raises Lazarus from the dead, as he speaks uh, to Martha, this is what he says to Martha in uh, John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. This is such a beautiful confession of faith, especially in the context. So here Martha is distraught in the midst of grief. Her brother has died. Her friend who could have saved, healed him, didn't come in time, and he's been buried. And now Jesus comes and tells her, I am the resurrection. I am life. And then he asks her, do you believe? And she gives her confession of faith that, yes, I believe you're the son of God and you're the Messiah. And then Jesus asks her to follow through on that belief. Jesus will ask her once she, once she states her, her, her statement of faith there, will say, okay, we'll now roll away the stone from the tomb. It's like immediately she has to put that faith into action. And when she does, when her and and Mary decide to do that, her sister, then um, Jesus raises Lazarus from from the dead. And many, not just them, many came to believe, but many of the people who saw Lazarus uh, believed after that. And of course, many did not believe. And in this final tale, the unbelief escalates. In chapter 11, verse 47, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they ask. Here this man is performing many signs. This is what John has been describing, sign after sign that Jesus performed. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Man, talk about unbelief. It moves to the point that they realize everyone's going to believe. And Rome, if we claim we have a king, Rome's going to crack down. And so in their unbelief, they take this final step of plotting to have Jesus executed. So we're going to zoom out a little bit. We've looked at different examples of belief and unbelief throughout John. And we want to ask the question, so, so what is the foundation of belief? How do we develop our beliefs. And, uh, and I want to acknowledge before we kind of get into that, that often, um, there are, there are people who follow Jesus who don't have a strong foundation. And, and I've seen this, I've experienced this, and, and maybe you have too. People who grew up just believing what their parents believed, and then they reach a point where that faith just doesn't cut it anymore. It's, it doesn't have the substance they need as they live their lives and challenges come. And so they end up walking away from faith or or, or being very hurt and disappointed by God in that. I've also seen and experienced when people's faith is so rigid 
that it becomes precarious. So, so it's so rigid that if one thing is questioned, then it's like their whole faith falls apart. The, the, there's no room, there's no space for hard questions or, or for challenging conversations because everything collapses. And so we want to ask today, what is the foundation of belief? How do we develop our belief? And it doesn't always happen first, but part of it is, is our understanding. It is cognitive. What do we understand? Um, who do we understand Jesus to be? God to be? As we study, as we reason, as we look at history, we, we gain this knowledge about God. And it's so important for us to dive in and dig in deep. What do we, what, what do we believe in why? And to be learners in that. Um, not saying everyone has to be like a biblical scholar that speaks Greek and Hebrew and, and knows all the things, but we must take our learning about God seriously. We must take our learning about God seriously and wrestle with hard questions and analyze and reason and come to a solid understanding um, of who God is and, and, and come to that that understanding, that those faiths and that belief with the expectation that we will be lifelong learners, that we'll never have it all figured out. <laughs> and that what we believe isn't perfect. <laughs> like there's always room for refinement where, where the spirit will be like, Hey, let's, let's reframe that. Let's, let's consider this. We're, we're lifelong learners. And further, Scripture itself, as we talk about this cognitive beginning of faith, uh, is an ever-developing understanding in our Christian walks and journeys. That is, there are so many layers and so much more depth that the most seasoned, seasoned of us uh, still have so much more to learn and to grasp and understand. So from the cognitive piece of faith, uh, quite often um, something develops in life, an experience in which we begin to realize God, an experience in which we uh, experience God in a new and profound way that becomes a center point of our faith. Uh, for me, it came in my teenage years. Uh, I grew up in church. I knew faith. I could define for you love and grace and many of the things that we talk about in church and in our children's classes. I grew up in all that. But in a really rough season of my life where I had, I guess it was my season of unbelief in my season of, of choosing to go my own way, as things became destructive enough that all came crashing down around me. And when I experienced love and grace, both from my parents and friends and family and experienced love and grace from God, man, those things that I knew on a cognitive level clicked in a way in my life that just transformed my future right? There's something beyond the cognitive when we experience a God of love. And I don't know if you've had one of those experiences yet in life. You, you likely will. And often in my life, as they continue to happen, uh, they go unnoticed by me. But God is a God of love and a God of grace that on a continual basis, we're invited to begin to build belief around not only our knowledge that we find in Scripture, but also our experience of a God and the spirit that is involved in our lives. So as we talk about belief in, in the cognitive sense and through experience, um, mature faith invites us to put both this this cognitive uh beliefs and our experience of God together. A mature faith, we, we look to both sides of that coin and we live it out. 
It is not just up here, but it's also how we choose to engage the world. It's how we choose to, to look internally. It's how we choose, it's our my, it, it's our whole frame of mind. It affects it all. It's interesting to me how a mature faith requires that we bring our whole selves to God not just one piece of ourselves. So mentally, it requires that I learn, that I reason, I, I'm bringing my mind to God. But it also requires an emotional connection because a mature faith requires a whole lot of self-awareness <laughs> and self-reflection. In order to ask the questions, uh, what we believe and why, often there's very emotional reasons to what we believe and why. And it requires us to be introspect, uh, introspective. Is that the word I'm looking for? Sure. Who knows how I said that? <laughs> but it requires us to be uh, self-aware and, and reflect on, on that. And often um, asking ourselves as we look at belief and, and we ask the question, does my belief actually line up with how I'm living? Like is, is what I believe actually the reality of my life? That's also a deeply emotional thing. And I love the, the scripture um, where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. With all of who you are, we get to love God and so we bring our whole selves to God, mental, emotional, and also our lived experiences. And we get to live in community. And community is a very big part of a mature faith because when we're in relationship with people, they reflect back to us um, if we're actually living out what we say we believe in and vice versa. And, and that's why community is so beautiful and also so messy because we're an imperfect people um, trying to live like Jesus Tim Mackey, I listened to a sermon of his this last week, and he, one of, one of the things he said, there's my phone, I just set it down for a sec. Um, <laughs> Tim Mackey, one of the things he said was, uh, faith begins with reason, but is only completed by faithful action and obedience. And so our faith, our beliefs require both reason and faithful action and obedience. Somehow, when we talk about beliefs, sometimes we're just thinking up here, but it's a whole lot more. We're invited to know God and to live it out, to experience God, and, and to let that ref be reflected in our lives. Yes, yeah, so we've de described this journey of uh, faith often begins on a cognitive level, I believe, and uh, based on the things that I've come to know, it transitions into an experience of God, and then transitions again into an experience of partnering with God in what God is doing in the world. It, it becomes a lifestyle, a way of being in this world, and in all that, our belief, our faith is growing. So, we ask today uh, what John wrote his gospel about. What do you believe? Uh, it's a curious question. Uh, we're all somewhere on the journey. We wouldn't be here if we weren't, right? We're all somewhere on that journey. And as I said in the beginning, none of us have, have arrived. We're all continuing in a journey of belief. And we don't assume that that's been easy. Uh, many of us have come uh, to faith in really challenging ways. Some of us are still asking really hard questions of faith and not sure what we believe. We all respond in different ways. We've all experienced different things. We're all in different places on our journey of understanding who God is and learning to experience him on a more continual basis. It is not easy. But I will mention this. John described for us this journey of faith for Jesus' apostles, his closest followers. 
And it began with Jesus walking up to a tax collector, a despised person in Israelite culture. He would walk up to fishermen, their stinky, hardworking people that no one really cared that much about. Uh, Jesus would walk up to these ordinary or even despised people in society, and he'd say, come and follow me and experience a whole new way of being. Right? So in our journeys of faith, I, I, I want to invite John's story of, of how Jesus operated on, on earth to spark our, imagine, our, our imagination of what my faith journey might look like. And it begins with walking in community, following in the footsteps of Jesus, right? We study scripture together, and we do service projects together, and we help feed people by growing a community garden. All of these things are steps in following Jesus and beginning to experience his transformation. You know, as you think about next steps in our faith journeys, we, we want to invite um, all of us as, as, as people who are on this journey to, to help us create an environment in which we can ask hard questions, in which we can dig deeper, in which we can have these faith conversations and ask, what is it that we believe and why? And as we dig deeper, I want to challenge us not to be afraid of um, not understanding something. Not to be afraid, be afraid of, of realizing, oh, I think maybe I've had that wrong. <laughs> or maybe there's a better way to approach that. Um, sometimes that can feel a bit vulnerable or a lot vulnerable. And, and I want to ask us to, to just dig into that without fear, knowing that God has invited us on this journey of lifelong learning uh, about God and about ourselves and about what community looks like. Secondly, opening ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Um, there's this beautiful passage in which the fruits of the Spirit are described, that the Spirit will produce in us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. This journey of belief is also a journey of opening ourselves to a God that is producing in us, bringing about in us the things that he desires more of in this world. And so as we dig deeper, as we open ourselves to God, I want to um, challenge us to maybe consider a situation in your life today that is hard. Consider a situation that is challenging that you're facing right now and ask the question, how might God be inviting us to live out our faith in that situation? Maybe maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a situation at work, whatever it is, maybe it's, it's a family matter. How might God be inviting me to live out what I believe about God and myself and others in that specific situation? Yeah, that's really good. There's one other challenge that I wanted to lay out today that um, usually we're not this specific in the application, but it was on my mind and I felt like I, I needed to say it. Um, if you want to go a little bit deeper in this conversation of belief, of faith, um, I was curious what it would be like to ask a friend, a loved one, it could be someone real close to you, or it can just be an acquaintance, but ask a question of, hey, what do you believe about Jesus? If you were to do this, if I were to do this, uh, I think a couple things might happen. First of all, it would kind of invite them to consider uh, putting into words what they believe and why. But secondly, I know for sure it's going to sharpen our understanding because very likely that question's going to get turned right back to us. Well, what do you believe about Jesus? And it would challenge us, invite us to start to put into words, really, who do I believe Jesus is? And what would that mean in my life? As I 
interact, as, as I have conversations with people, as I walk down the street or shop at a grocery store, like what do I believe and how might that shape my life? Let's pray about that. Dear God, we thank you so much for this invitation to know you. This invitation to believe in you. Not a blind belief, Lord, but a belief based on so much evidence of all the things that you have done and are doing right now in our world and in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would guide us along this journey of belief, that your spirit would nudge us into the right um, directions, Lord, to have those conversations uh, that will that will move us forward, that will help us ask questions. And Lord, I pray that you would take away any fear uh, that there might be of, of digging deeper or admitting that, that we need to change our, our understanding of something, Lord, that you would help us to be um, secure in your love for us and enjoy the learning process and the practicing process as we, as we put our beliefs into practice. And Lord, our, our heart's desire is that everything that we do and say, everything that we believe would be for your glory and would bring you glory and would point everyone that we um, encounter towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So John wrote this gospel, uh, this account of Jesus' life that we might believe. Wherever you're at on your belief, on your faith journey, we want you to know you're invited to a next step. And if there's any way we can partner with you and walk with you and discuss what's next with you, we would love to do that. We and many other leaders and friends in this church would love to have those conversations with you. With that, we're going to conclude. I want to remind you, feel free to stick around. Uh, there's co cookies and coffee out in the lobby. Uh, there is still produce in the garden, so please pick the garden. And there's tomatoes in the lobby. Oh, and there's also. a bunch of tomatoes in the lobby from Jim's garden as well. Friends, thanks for being here today. We can't wait to see you again. Have a blessed week.